Okay. So much for uh, us. See you next week. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're the worst. That was, that was just a, you know, I don't know, six-month hiatus. You know, we do this every now and then. Was long, it? You know. Was it six months? About. I was looking back. It was like Damn. June. So, yeah, it's December. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Because the last thing well. we did was on the Supreme Court decisions. So they just come out in late June. <laughs> well, there hasn't been much going no, on. there's so. nothing going on. There's nothing to talk about at all. It's, it's probably... So, um, yeah, I, I want to know how's how's like your wine shop, and you know what's going on. Wine shop's going great. We are open. We've been open since right before Thanksgiving. We've got a a nice little crowd, a bunch of regulars now coming okay. in. So you know it's happening. So what, wait, we the, have another. Give, give us the name and the whole the details. Pa- Patron Saint Wine Bar. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, in New Orleans. And what's 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 and then we've got St. Pizza opening up what's, in um January, which is be sick. Nice. Too. So what's the shtick about what's special about your wine bar? I own it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But aren't you guys like the shtick is that we we have fen- we have phenomenal taste. Okay. And if you wanna drink delicious stuff, you come to our spot. Uh it's like Leslie would murder you if you said natural wine. Oh really? Um, how come? We call it more because she, she just thinks it's like a easy. Sh- I, I don't want to speak for her, but I, I gather that it's not really an accurate description. Got it. Um, we would say more low intervention, or at least people practicing uh, to the best of their ability, um, responsible farming. Okay. Um, you know, not taking any easy shortcuts to deliver a bunch of crap. So that doesn't always mean that everything is organic and perfect or whatever it just means you know there's places in napa for instance where they are basically organic mm-hmm. but if something attacks the vineyards they'll spray the shit out of right it. that doesn't happen right. but because they they because they won't they won't lose the vineyards at all costs to keep organic they can never become organic okay, okay. so even though they're practicing it uh they'll save the vines if they if something attacked them a parasite or a whatever a bacteria or something so you know that yeah i think yeah. so that's pretty shows you've got to protect your got to protect the vines yeah. so that's just one example um it's more complex than that but we would say low intervention responsible okay uh yeah winemakers okay. cool i can't wait to go down there and try it out yeah um, it's awesome it's really to be honest i'm really we got a nice write-up I'm mostly excited about the pizza um but, yeah it's happening too. yeah it's awesome okay cool well, um, the last time we talked, as I just mentioned, was like Supreme Court, very domestic kind of politics. And now we have so much going on in the Middle East. Um, and it's very hard to talk about. Uh, but I thought we should talk about it in some way. So that's fine. Yeah, let's talk um, Israel, Palestine, and the war in Gaza. This is No Politics at the Dinner Table. I'm Tony Biancasino. And I'm Amit Prakash. This week we're back, first of all, uh, and we're also talking about Israel and Palestine, um, a now century-old conflict um, that is making its way way well into the 21st century, and we're going to talk about what's going on. So, 
I don't think there's any value um, coming from us, at least, because we're not reporters, we're not journalists, we're not on the ground there. We're just kind of Correct. following what's happening. And people will get their news alerts about you know, the latest news coming out of um, Israel and Palestine. Um, I thought I thought it might be useful, at least for me. I mean, this is for me. Um, maybe it'll be useful for you too. I hope so. And for our listeners. Uh, just to think about how this conflict is covered um, in our media um, and what representations we see of both sides um, and how that might have political and military values, say, um, in, in the heat of the conflict, right? Um, so one thing I just want to sort of put out, like there's like the, the classic line, like the first casualty of war is the truth, right? Like, like the information war comes out. Both sides have um, ideological propaganda campaigns, right? Like that's pretty well acknowledged. Um, in Israel, it's the Hasbara, um, where they have basically people hired uh, and deputized to go online and uh, advance a very particular um, version of the nature of the conflict, its causes, and then also its prosecution. So, which is mostly, you know, like very sympathetic to, to the state of Israel. And on the flip side, what the Israelis call uh, Pallywood, uh, which is like, you know, the portmanteau of Palestine and Hollywood, like that, that, that uh, Hamas has its own videos and, and, and which sort of always depict the Palestinians as victims and never as aggressors. Um, and, you know, one of the charges is that some, sometimes the stuff is faked or, or they'll, they'll pull footage from, you know, a bunch of different conflicts that sometimes not even in the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, but, you know, it fits the narrative. So they'll throw that in there. It'll become a, pop, a propaganda video. It'll, you know, ricochet around the world. And then suddenly uh, you will get um, all the sympathy going towards the Palestinians. Uh, and that's precisely the, what, what that propaganda um, wants to achieve, right? And so for me, I've been following this. So like, I'll, let me just step back a second. I've been, I used to teach this stuff um, for years, both at the college and high school level. And every time I've taught this conflict, it is super tense, even when it's not a hot war like it is now. Um, but the thing that always sort of comes up is like, how do you sift through the fire hose of media coverage to get to any sort of forms of truth here, right? So that you basically just need to have like a much heightened sense of skepticism and scrutiny when uh, evaluating the information war, right? And so I, I gotta say like for the US, like the Western media, and let's take like the New York Times, Washington Post, things like that, the Guardian, um, maybe the Guardian's a little bit separate, but like Times uh, and Post, I'll take those two because obviously those are like super influential, you know, papers. They like set the discourse. Um, until this year, um, and until this conflict, the U.S. media has basically been like 
the stenographers of the Israeli foreign and defense ministries. Whatever they say, they just publish as truth, mostly sort of, um, you know, unsubstantiated, that assertions just um, appear as reality. Um, and I think one of the things that's changed um, is that precisely because we all have these phones now, um, and there's a lot of, I guess you could call it like citizen journalism uh, coming out of the occupied territories and Gaza, uh, that that narrative is being challenged um, precisely because you know there's 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 video evidence and and in in some ways it's kind of parallel to like the police shootings in the U.S. right like you know things have gone on for a long time but now you know we have this sort of like popular coverage of it, right? Um, so I gotta say, like, I'm actually kind of, I'm critical still of the Western representation of the conflict in various ways, but I'm also really pleased by it because I think there's been a big change where there's been at least a recognition of um, the Palestinians as a people, first of all, um, that are normal human beings who suffer like the rest of us, right? Like that, there's been um, more of that. Like, in, and in previous con conflicts, there really has not been that. Um, so I think that's great. I think that's great. Um, but the flip side is, is like, how do we interpret, say, things that have been advanced by propaganda machines um, on on both sides, right? So for one, on, on for, 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 let me give you an example here, right? So like everybody remembers now um, that when October, like on October 8th, basically the day after the attacks, people, there was this line about 40 babies beheaded um, by Hamas, right? And then there was zero evidence of that and now it has been scaled back by the uh, Israeli authorities themselves to one baby who was not beheaded, but still murdered outright, obviously, like an atrocity. Um, so, you know, one of the things that sort of comes up is that why would that story be advanced? Uh, and on the flip side is the stories about the rapes and sexual violence by Hamas um, on Israeli women um, during October 7th, which Hamas is vehemently denied. And I will just say that, you know, if you look at any conflict in history, rapes and sexual violence always happens in wartime. It's, it's one of the effects of all wars. Uh, so like the, the outright rejection by Hamas that, oh, they're not showing enough evidence Guess what? They don't need, you know, you don't need to show that evidence because that's always been part of war. And I, you know, I, I would bet my money that, that of course that happened, right? Um, terrible, terrible atrocities. But how do we sort through this, right? Like, like how do we kind of sift through and decide, okay, we should believe this. This is massage. This is just uh, mm -hmm. like the Israeli ministry uh, trying to advance their war aims through the information war. Like, how do you, how do you sift through it? Um, one is I totally agree with everything you said. Um, it's a, it's a, 
it feels really insane right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think the way I sift through it, like I told myself when this thing happened, like October 7th, oh, horrendous, right? Mm-hmm. We all agree. Of course. Yeah. We, and we could say it a million times, it's disgusting. But I promised myself I wouldn't get sucked to one side or I wouldn't get sucked by headlines. I don't watch any news on purpose. That's not doing it. Very smart. Don't trust it. Very smart. Not doing it. I unfortunately am down some very deep, dark, horrible social media accounts of journalists on the ground, mm-hmm. both sides, independent journalists, Al Jazeera, uh, uh, um, New York Times, mm-hmm. and, and I'm seeing the people on the ground, and it's, it's pretty horrible. I mean, it's, I've had to take breaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I promised myself is, as a 43-year-old, I will look at this through the lens I didn't as a 20-something-year-old during September 11th. And that's how I'm mm-hmm. taking this on is, back then, the planes crashed. I was living in Canada, um, and I was furious and angry, like we right. all were. And I was too ignorant to understand the history behind the terrorist attacks which were horrible and disgusting yep. and brutal. Um, so now that I've like, I know people that have been to war. I have close friends. We have friends of the show that have been on that have seen right. war, that have been there all through the war on terror. We've got, we've had people who have written about it. We have the experts mm-hmm. on the war on terror. So the way I'm looking at this is through that lens. Uh, I'm not choosing to believe either side. For me, it's, I don't want innocent death on either side. I don't want a larger conflict to happen that spills into other countries. Mm-hmm. I don't want um, a blind a, a blank check written or or blank or a blank do whatever you need to do for either side to get what you want. Um, so, I understand the world works as a really horrible place, and war is part of our being. It's part of our our species it's it's not ever we're never going to live in a world where people aren't fighting mm-hmm. i'm not that crazy to think that we're ever going to get that not in my lifetime at least but when a horrible terrorist attack happens and a response happens fair game i don't like any of it i get it we got people have to do something for me at this point it's we have to just not worry about who to believe and look at the images of what you're seeing. And do we, are we okay with innocent people dying for whatever one side causes? And the answer for me is a hundred percent no. Um, so, you know, we have a responsibility as just like citizens of the, the world of like being people to like stop the talk whether it's and and this goes beyond israel palestine russia ukraine like this whole like we all can sit especially in america or in europe in our little little nice houses with our freedoms and this and that and just sit back and go well they got to do what they got to do or they got to do this and it's like that's a really bad thing to do like this is not a video game it's not a simulation this there are people dying daily by the minute um and many 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 of them the the vast not the vast the 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 great majority of them are have nothing to do with the the atrocities from both sides um so that's the lens i look at it through it's like i don't really give a fuck what the media says I, I i 100% don't trust anything hamas says and i 100% don't trust anything netanyahu's administration says i mean if we can get rid of hamas and we get rid of netanyahu then we can maybe start something from scratch and by the way 
I have not met one of my Israeli friends, and you know I've been to Israel yeah. two times, uh, that, that disagree with me on Netanyahu. Right. And it's the same where when Bush, when 9-11 happened on Bush and Cheney's watch, we should have, as Americans, demanded they go away. You bring somebody new in with a cool head that doesn't need to save face, and, and you may still need to go to war or do something, but you can't have the guy who allowed it to happen now leading the charge. I mean, that's not, that's, just think about yourself. Somebody murders your, your mother. Do, do you want that person to be in charge of the, the backlash? No, it's, it's, it's why we have courts and a judicial system here where we don't let the people who, you know, are on both sides responsible for it lead the charge on fixing it. It's a pretty bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's right. Uh, it's it's hard, you know, like so I'm trying to think about it's pretty obvious from Hamas's perspective why they would put out um, narratives, images, etc., uh, that underline Palestinian victimhood, right? Um, of that, course, you know, and it's, it's of course. Hamas, of course, is only a product of the 1980s, and the conflict had already been going on for four decades. Uh, when, when about four decades when they emerged, um, so Hamas itself is not sort of coming out of a vacuum, they're, they're like the, um, let's call it like the hard militant edge um, of a larger Palestinian resistance movement, right? That's, that's been there um, for, from the beginning. Um, so I get that. The, the flip side is, is that since Israel had, you know, in the same way, and I'm glad you brought up 9-11, because on October 7th, like right away, there was world sympathy for Israel, right? That, that Correct. In the same way that there was global sympathy for America on, on 9-12, right? Like it was even, even Iran was flying yeah. the American flag um, yeah, on, on 9-12, right? So there was, there was a lot yes. of sympathy, um, which was then subsequently squandered, right? Um, and, 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 and I, I fear that's kind of what's happening here with the Israelis, right? Is that they had a right to sympathy, right? Like there's, there's no justification for, I, I don't care what your cause is. I don't care, um, how just that cause is. And I do believe that the Palestinian liberation cause is a just cause. Um, but it doesn't the give you the you, right to show up at a music festival yeah, you and kill kids who are dancing. People. You're killing I'm babies. Sorry. You're horrible, like, raping and murdering women. You know, disgusting. It's there's no there's no world where that's okay, right? Like there's just absolutely nope. no world, right? And so and I, it's not going to accomplish anything positive, right? Right. I mean, it's what not. what they did was, in their view, they accomplished getting the Palestinian question back on the world's mind because it had been sidelined so long um, by multiple American administrations. And we have to be real. It's like the Americans are the moderators of this conflict or in the conversation about the conflict. Um, but they kind of have a thumb on the scale, right? Because they're not quite 
impartial brokers, right? And it's not like they're giving the Palestinians three billion dollars a year in military aid, right? They're giving one side that, right? So, so that's that that's the issue. Um, so, but that aside, like I completely one hundred percent get that there will be a military response um, to this. Like, of how course. could you? How could you not? Right? Like, obviously, of course, uh, that's the case. But why then advance the story of, you know, the baby killings, right? That is grossly exaggerated, unproven, and then now even the Israelis are walking back and saying, no, no, no that actually never happened. Um, and my take on that is really the purpose of the focus on that, because most people will read that, but they won't follow up a month later and read the retraction. Right? Like that's that's just in your mind. Like, oh my God, that that happened. They committed this horrible atrocity against infants, right? And and any normal human being who hears that will say, well, I want blood after that, right? Like, you, I I want some payback if you're killing my babies. Like, obviously. Um, and so, it's in my view, it's really about dehumanizing the Palestinians and not so much Hamas, right? That it's painting with a broad brush because the idea is that Hamas is the representation of the Gazan people and therefore uh, what they do, the Palestinian civilians are liable for, right? And because they do such horrible things, they're barbaric and, you know, they are quote unquote human animals and will be dealt with accordingly, right? And so what that ends up doing is that it licenses broader violence um, on, on Gaza, right? And, and increasingly on the West Bank, as we know, right? Um, and it reminded me, um, you know, there's been, a, I've been listening to stuff and um, these conversations, one, one of the things that's being advanced, it's like, again, like with 9-11, there's like the civilization versus barbarism discourse, right? Like if you're on this side, you're on the side of civilization. If you're on that side, you're on the side of barbarism. Um, and one of the arguments is that, look, Hamas did this knowing full well that Israel would unleash hell on Gaza, right? And so therefore, sure. they are responsible um, because they provoked this response, right? Um, and an addendum to that is that the reason they do that is because they are culturally different and they don't value the single individual human life in the same way as the Western world does. And that is a trope that's been out there for a while. Um, I'm just going to read a quick quotation from an American general, um, Westmoreland, who led the Vietnam War. Um, and this is for him in 1974, and he's talking about what's going on in Vietnam. Quote, the Oriental does not put the same high price on life as it does a Westerner. Life is plentiful. Life is cheap in the Orient. Right? And so what he was saying there was that we've killed about 2 million of these people, and they've only killed about you know, 40,000, 45,000 at that point of us, and yet they're still coming. Right? They're still resisting us. Therefore, they don't care about their kids as much as we care about our kids. Um, and that kind of logic um, has migrated, um, I think, into the war in Gaza. Um, and there's, like a, there's a history here of that 
let's call it like asymmetric um, valuing of life, right? So you know about this guy, uh, Gilad Shalit, um, the Israeli soldier from like 2006. He was imprisoned for five years, right? And they traded one of him, right, him, for 1,000 Palestinian uh, prisoners. Mm -hmm. And the argument there was like, look, we really care about the individual life, right? Like, we really care about it, and we're willing to do this because we care so much about the individual. Now, that may well be the case, but the flip side is that if you look at it from another perspective, that's kind of the metric by which um, Israel is understanding the value of life, that one Israeli life is worth 1,000 Palestinian lives, right? That tells you a different story, doesn't it, right? Like how little value is accorded to the Palestinians. Um, and so, you know, we've heard countlessly and from the President of the United States that uh, October 7th, uh, based on population ratios, is the equivalent of 15 9-11s visited upon Israel. Um, that day, right? And that's true, right? That's, that's, that's a mathematical fact. Uh, it is equally, when you apply that same math um, for the Palestinians right now, which are up to about 20,000 killed, um, that would be 796 9-11s, um, which amounts to 12 9-11s a day for over almost 70 days now, right? So, the response there, um, the ratio is similar to that one to a thousand, right? Like the, and that sort of logic of that there's going to be um, a much harsher price paid for any Palestinian, um, look, crim criminality, right? Like the, these are war crimes that were committed by Hamas and so on. Like we, we shouldn't sugarcoat it. Like these guys came out and committed war crimes. I mean, it was like, they killed soldiers and stuff like that, so that's those are legitimate targets, right? When you're a soldier, that's that's legitimate. But they killed the the lion's share of the people they killed were civilians, right? So that's totally. you know that those are war crimes, right? Systematic war crimes, um, which again I agree demand a response if you're the governor of a state, right? Like of course you're going to unleash the army. The question is, is it proportional? Um, and the question is, is it discriminate, right? Like you're not like taking out, you're not flattening Gaza, right? Like the, if, if, if the approach is flattening Gaza, then those two things are coming together. One is the dehumanization of all Palestinians as tantamount to a Hamas terrorist, right? They're interchangeable. And also the view that, well, they don't really care about life as much as we do, right? So we can just blow them away. Um, and it doesn't matter as much because they don't care as much. So that's where I get kind of stuck um, in terms of the media representation uh, is that I think it's actually way better than I've ever seen it. Uh, but yeah. it, there still is this imbalance in terms of what lives come to matter more than others. I haven't watched the news for a reason. I don't trust it. We shouldn't trust it. Um, but you have access now to see live on the ground day to day life inside of a serious conflict and if you want to see it you can see it if you don't want to i get it it's brutal to watch but to go down that rabbit hole and look at 
And this isn't like propaganda. This is, I mean, you can only produce so much of that. Um, if you could look at what's going on with whatever side you've decided to be on, and that's fine, do what you must. But when you're seeing images of like hospitals being bombed and dead babies, dead kids, dead whatever, dead people, dead civilians, it's like, it makes me want to throw up. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know what to, it's not something I really go out and try to, it's not a fun conversation to have with people. I get it. I get that it's like a situation that's like, you know, hard and there's history there, but like, that's fine. You can have all of that, but also not want civilians to die. And I don't give a shit yeah. what the what the history of a conflict with anywhere is. And you know, to that point, I feel I feel bad for the Iraqi civilians, the Afghanis the Afghanis that died when we invaded those places. I feel bad for the Ukrainians. Like whatever you want to talk about, NATO moving to the border. I still feel bad for the people that are just dying that were living their life. And that's okay. You're allowed to have those opinions. What you're not allowed to do is root for Hamas. You're not allowed to be happy that some horrible shit happened. If you, if you are, you got some soul searching to do. But we, I think we both agree. What Hamas did was terrible. It warranted a response. We're past that now. Now, now what we're talking about is actual starvation and human suffering of people that are not Hamas. Um, and Israeli soldiers that are in a place where they can be killed. And it's just one of those things where, what's the end goal? Because last i checked the united states is apparently the greatest military power the world has ever seen and the taliban is now in control of afghanistan so you just got to keep that in mind i i, I just am very curious for all sides what's the end goal here like like do the palestinians want to come to the table and talk do the israelis want to come to the table like i'm not hearing it from anybody Right. Yeah. I'm hearing they're killing us and bombing us. And I'm hearing Israel say we're trying to kill Hamas and get the hostages. I'm not hearing anybody talk about wh where is this going? And I think that's what I'm looking for. That's what I wish more people look for um, with the war on terror, because, you know, 40 beheaded babies, weapons of mass destruction. Like you got to ask questions now. It's OK. It's not OK to ask them on October 7th, but you can start asking them now. Like what what's that? What's the end goal? What's the status? Where is this going? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the and again, since we are far from the field and are only understanding oh, really? this through the prism of a very foggy information war, right? Um, it's one of the things that I think that the only thing that we can do is is think about well, we have to think about the content, but also the form, like how this is framed for us. Um, and, you know, one of the things that sort of come up, and it's it's very current in Israeli popular opinion, and I understand it, right? Like, I, I get it, uh, is that they don't care about the past right now, right? Like, they don't care, like, the their argument is that what we're thinking about is starts on October 7th, right? We don't care about what happened uh, before October 7th. We care about what happened on October 7th, and we are going to punish, eradicate Hamas is, is, is apparently the mission goal, um, and do what's necessary uh, to achieve that goal, which can also mean uh, killing thousands of children on, on the daily, right? Um, so what I sort of get out of that is that the minute you say 
the historical context doesn't matter, much like 9-11, right? I, I always go back to this line that um, a CIA counterterrorism official gave shortly after 9-11, and this is Kofor Black, and he said um, there was a before 9-11 and there's an after 9-11, and after 9-11, the gloves come off, right? That's, a, that's his, his direct quote. And which what 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 he also meant by that not only that you know the U.S. is going to be super aggressive, um, but also it doesn't matter what happened before, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what is the payoff of that? The payoff of that framing is that if you deny historical context to why something like Hamas would even emerge, right? Like, how did this enemy emerge uh, that is this brutal? If you just decide we're not going to think about the historical context, then October 7th comes into, you know, it's just appears out of nowhere and becomes a pretext, right? Like it becomes a pretext to the style of war making you want to you want to make. Right. So we're not going to talk about historical context. We're just going to talk about October 7th as a thing that happened, which is a pretext for, um, you know, what seems to be the flattening of Gaza. Right. Like that. It seems to be pretty clear that. Uh, one of the, the aims um, is to just make the place unlivable. Um, why, right? One, the logic here is like, it's, it's I don't know, it's, have you ever heard of um, Moshe Dayan? Okay, no. so Moshe Dayan um, was a very important uh, Israeli military leader. Um, in the 50s through the 70s, and it was also, you know, a high-ranking, um, you know, minister, foreign minister and stuff like that, like super high in the echelons of uh, Israeli power apparatus. And I'm going to read a quotation from him, um, which I think gets at the Israeli logic in ways that um, others don't. So here's the, here's the quotation, quote, I'm saying, let me give give you the context here. This is um, Moshe Dayan giving a eulogy at an Israeli soldier's funeral in April 1956, right? Israeli soldier was killed by some people who uh, were in Gaza and uh, went out and and killed a couple of soldiers. And this is Roy Ruttenberg's um, eulogy. Quote, let us not cast blame on the murderers today. Why should we declare their burning hatred for us? For eight years, they have been sitting in the refugee camps in Gaza, and before their eyes, we have been transforming the lands and the villages where they and their fathers dwelt into our estate. Have we forgotten that this group of young people dwelling at Nahal Oz, this is the place that that was uh, attacked, is bearing the heavy gates of Gaza on its shoulders? We will make our reckoning with ourselves today. We are a generation that settles the land, and without the steel helmet and the cannon's maw, we will not be able to plant a tree and build a home. Let us not be deterred from seeing the loathing that is inflaming and filling the lives of the hundreds of thousands of Arabs who live around us. Let us not avert our eyes, lest our arms weaken." So from that, basically he's, he's making the argument, I get why they hate us and because they hate us we need to be ready to kill them at any any moment right um the logic was not 
yes, you know, they hate us because we've, we've taken this land and we decided to create a Jewish majority state in an Arab majority land, um, which then requires some form of, you know, um, mass, you know, refugee crisis and stuff like that. Um, the problem is not that. The problem is we need to always sleep with one eye open. Right. And that's why that's why Roy Ruttenberg got caught, because he got killed because he, he let his guard down for a second because he forgot that he was right outside of Gaza. Right. Um, I think that goes a long way to explaining the Israeli logic uh, in terms of creating a sort of garrison state um, that is much like Sparta, right? That, that it's very much like Sparta, that everybody's a fighter, um, and that the state has to be ready to pounce uh, at all moments, right? And so Mo Moshe Dayan, if he was giving a eulogy today, it would be like, I told you so, right? Like, I told you mm -hmm. that Gaza should have been even more um, guarded and bombarded, and et cetera, right? What do you do with that logic, right? So that's, that's like a, there is a complete impasse there between resolving, because one of the things that's, I think, has been apparent for decades now is that there's actually no military solution to this. Um, there's only a political solution unless the military solution is genocide, right? Because there happen to be hundreds of thousands, indeed millions of Palestinians who are in Gaza, in the West Bank, who have been for decades in Jordan uh, and Lebanon, um, they're there. So unless there is a full clearing out of that population, the Jewish majority state that was envisioned by early Zionism in the 19th century uh, is not achievable. But that is no longer kind of palatable by the international mm -hmm. community to do things like that, mm -hmm. right? So what we've got is a 19th century ethno-nationalism in the 21st century. And with that type of logic of, well, we have to just be even more vigilant and more militarized uh, because there's resistance to us, where's the end? I don't see any end. I don't either. Um, you know, I don't see a world where fighting like this <laughs> leads to peace. Um, and on the flip side of what you just said, there are plenty of Israelis born way after Israel became a state. And I was born in America. I'm by no means sympathizing so deeply with the natives that I'm leaving and giving the land back, right? Like it's further removed, but it's the same, same thing, thing yep. right? Um, so we can't expect this just you're born with this sympathy to the Palestinians. Palestinians, whatever you think of their gripes, like they tend to fire rockets sometimes. They, in the 80s and 90s, were suicide bombing. They're 
people have lived with that that didn't ask for any of this they were just born um so we can't forget that uh the unfortunate part of it is the last time i was in tel aviv you know i'm always talking politics with people and you know you, you gotta it's actually easier to talk about it over there than yes, here absolutely <laughs> much easier yep. um I couldn't find some. That's Tel Aviv, obviously around mm-hmm. Jerusalem. Some of the outskirts, they're a little more conservative for both sides. I couldn't find anybody that didn't want a two-state um, solution. I couldn't find someone that was like "fuck them," like literally, mm-hmm. like people my age, a little older, a little younger. And I'm sad because it felt like you know, okay, it was like for me really an awesome thing to be there and and to see people that felt like I did and like oh okay I don't really see a lot of that where I am but it's so amazing to hear that and that probably is what Hamas wanted is like to fuck all these people you know to to cause hatred and to cause and and they're gonna get it Um, I just hope my hope for the you know Israelis is that they look at what we did and learn from our mistakes and it's like the, the, the good thing and bad thing there is like everybody has to serve some time in the military, mm-hmm. which I'm a big fan of because, you know, you want to go into war. It, it means a lot more when you can't just send all the rich kids in. I mean, all the poor kids in. Um, but now that like clearly the number of dead on the Palestinian side is way higher than the Israeli side. doesn't make anything better or righteous, but you, you would hope there could be some sympathy some okay we've killed a lot let's see if there's a hail mary here let's try to and and i I, it's way out of my pay grade but um i i just know that the continuing of bomb they're not getting they haven't you know when they negotiated they got hostages back i know you don't want to negotiate with terrorists i get it but like that got people home um what we saw the other day is the israeli army mistakenly killed three hostages um so i'm I'm also thinking about the hostages. I get it. But, like, everybody that's like, nothing stops when the hostages are released, like, that's not how this works, guys. That's not how terrorists works. They don't care that you're carpet bombing places. They don't give a fuck. They like it. It's going to make the hatred for you even bigger. So that's how complicated this is. I mean, this is, this is what has happened in the West Bank, right? So the West Bank yes. was kind of the fief of the Palestinian Authority. Um which mm-hmm. is mostly run by Fatah, right? Um, and mm-hmm. now Hamas is more popular in the West Bank I know. Uh, than it has ever been. Um, and, yeah. you know, the reason for that is is that they see, it's complicated, but they see Fatah as a deputized police force of the Israeli occupying force and Hamas right. as, you know, what its acronym says, the Islamic Resistance Movement, right? Um, and that... They are, you know, taking the pain of this sort of slow war on the Palestinians into like a uh, immediate war uh, with with the Israelis, right? And to sort of force force the conversation about you know the situation that has yep. dragged on for so long. Um, yeah. I again, I understand the the logic, like the strategic logic of Hamas, which is that Saudi Arabia was about to recognize Israel and start diplomatic relations, which which basically meant that the entire Arab world was abandoning 
the Palestinian movement, right? And so they exploded that, right? Like that's gone. Um, so on the on the sort of diplomatic world stage, it's a win for them. As uh, as a referendum on how they govern and caretake the Gazan people, it's the exact opposite. They've they've caused the destruction of Gaza and its civil civilian population, right? Uh, they triggered it now, but the thing is, they definitely triggered it, but the trigger still being pulled <laughs> is, 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 is a point that I would like to sort of underline is that should the trigger still be, be pulled at this point? Um, I think this is turning into not security, but just pure revenge. Um, and look, um, if you allow revenge to be the guiding policy, no amount of revenge is going to uh, sate me if you killed one of my children, right? I'm going to go forever. Um, mm -hmm. So if once you elevate that emotion to a policy or to orient your policy, there's only one end game here, right? Which is either, and which they've offered, right? Is get all the Palestinians out of Gaza and put them in Egypt somewhere. Um, or we're just going to keep on crushing uh, Gaza and uh, and just sort of continue to blame Hamas for the start of it in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. Both options are unacceptable morally, um, mm -hmm. and uh, the the situation is such that the whole world is yelling no um, to this continued fighting, um, and really it's. It's not much fighting anymore. It's really just a beat down um, on, on Gaza at this point. And the only country that is backing Israelis is the United States. Yeah. Right? And so this is, you know, I want to sort of, I'll come full circle here and maybe we can kind of end on this, which is like, what is the role of Americans uh, in this? Right? And so. One thing I think about is that one of the arguments that um, certain elements of the Israeli state uh, and their, you know, their propaganda, to be frank, um, always sort of point out is that there is a sort of selective outrage at Israel when there's so many other bad actors in the world, right? Like, why aren't you? I mean, why are you talking about um, Israel and you do, you know? the BDS movement and so on, like why sanctions and stuff like that on, on, on Israel when, you know, have your pick of like a number of other regimes that are equally or uh, more uh, discriminatory and exploitative and brutal and so on, right? Okay, fine. It's not necessarily the case that all those other regimes are the number one receiver of American military aid on a yearly basis. Um, and that's where there is a very clear implication of American citizenry with regard to Israeli policy, right? Like that, you know, just last week, Congress did not do the vote to uh, send more arms to Israel. And then so what did Biden do? He did by executive order an emergency 
you know, sending tank rounds, right? Like, you know, millions of dollars of tank rounds, right? Um, that's very clear, right? Like the, the prosecution of the war could not go on but for the American arms supply, right? Which we're very good at. Like we're the biggest gun runners in the world, right? So that, and, and Israel is the biggest receiver of that. And so to the point of, well, why is it you know, so selective and, and, and that must be a testament to the uh, latent, ever-present um, anti-Semitism um, around the world to sort of point the finger at Israel and not others, um, I don't think is quite right, uh, precisely because you've got the most powerful military in the world as the Israeli patron. Um, and if that's the case, then Israeli politics, as we know here, are American politics, right? Like in America, what happens with the Israeli-Palestinian is a domestic political issue, right? So how you, everybody's asked, oh, how do you come down on this and so on. Uh, nobody's asked on like, how do you come down on like um, Ecuador right now, right? Like it's, but Israel is, is you know, important and always uh, has been in American politics. So... I just want to sort of note here that um, while I have incredible sympathy for um, Israelis right now, especially um, because young people who, as you rightly put it, just happen to be born there, right? They just happen to be born there. Um, they're living their lives, right? They are completely innocent people. Um, the Hamas killers who uh, did that should should see justice, right? Like, I, 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 as a human being, as a dad, you know, like, I, I get that. Like, like 100%, I get it. Horrible. Um, the flip side is, is that uh, there's a quote from Nietzsche, I'm trying to remember. It's something to the effect of... Those who slay monsters should take care that they do not turn into a monster. Um, and and if it's the case that you know Hamas is this monster that in various ways is sort of a product of um, Israeli policy over time, um, and then you know of course was nourished by Bibi to divide the Palestinian movement over time as well. Um, you don't want to be in the situation that Hamas is the moral measure by which you are, you know, describing your so-called most moral army in the world, right? Like that's 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 not that should not be the bar. Um, so yeah, I just I wish that we had different leadership, um, and I think a lot of this has to do with. Uh, the degeneration of the quality of leadership on both sides of this conflict over time. Um, there were probably moments there, particularly not in the actual leadership, but in the, the sort of the second rung of the leadership where people really wanted to make a, a, a lasting deal, but it was considered political suicide for those who were at the top, right? So mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm saying something contradictory, which is that I... The only thing that is possible here for peace is a political solution. Correct. But the visions of each side at this point um, are mutually exclusive, effectively, um, and therefore 
all that's left is blood. Well, that is where the role of the United States in this has to come into play. If you're going to continue your role in the world as the great spreaders of democracy and the moral compass of all that anyone ever does, you can't really just sit back and not get involved. Um, while obviously you're going to support your quote-unquote allies, fine. But at the same time, at what cost? If, if you're going to play the big role where you're... You're the people who have bases all over the world, most powerful this. Then we'll talk about Biden another fucking time, but that, that kook. Yeah. Who, who's going to get on a plane and sit down and get over there and stop the killing? Both sides. Just sit down. Work it out. I don't know. Like, but this isn't going to work. This is, this is going to make the world unsafer. And for all the people that are just afraid to talk about this, like... My advice is be compassionate for everybody involved. Don't, don't, there's, there's no, you don't need to pick a side here, right? Like just go with the side of like, we don't want to see dead civilians and, and, and you could talk to anybody. But what I, w what I will say is as Americans, especially younger Americans, um, we could get sucked into a larger war here. You're allowed to talk about this. You're allowed to want peace. You're allowed to want this war to end and for a solution to be figured out because uh, it's, it's a powder keg. This can blow up into something. Hopefully it doesn't happen. I'm not saying it's going to, but this is how shit starts right here, right? This is how stuff starts. So we should all be demanding at least the outline of what the plan is. If we're sending weapons and we're sending money, then we can send our opinions. And I mean that for Afghan, I mean that for uh, Russia. And if, if you're on the side of Ukraine should negotiate with Russia, you're allowed to have that opinion. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with it, but at the same time, I get it. It's a valid, valid opinion and we could debate it. Um, you're allowed to have that with this. And I think I would just like to see, as we started this, more people Stop watching the news, start reading a little bit more, and just just err on the side of like compassion and sympathy for everybody involved. Because I also don't want to see, as much as I feel terrible for all the civilians getting bombed in, in Gaza, I, I feel I feel bad for the soldiers that have to be there from, from the Israeli side. Like it sucks. Like it's not fun. And um, I don't want to see that happen with our our friends in the military here. I don't want to see them go back to fight something, which I don't know where this is going. Uh, it, it just, uh, it's a, it's a, it's my last comment on that. It's just, it would be nice to, to see the voice, whoever the voice is, say, can we all talk? Whether it's, whether it's the the leader of China, whether it's Putin, somebody who's going to step up and bring the parties to the table, and at least stop the stop the killing i think it's a very reasonable yeah. ask um and honestly man like i you know having a kid will will change your will soften you up real sure. quick and uh, when, you, when you're seeing when you're seeing kids die it oof not yeah. good yeah not good i think that's a good way to end which is an injunction a plea for universal protection yeah. right um totally yeah. it's Bleeding heart liberal, and I don't care. 
um, it's totally the right right thing. Um, uh, totally. So, bleeding heart. Apparently, it's who, a controversial position these days. But but uh, listen, peace and bleeding heart, bleeding heart, bleeding heart liberals who say Israel had the right to respond. Of course, mm-hmm. you can't let people paraglide into your country and slaughter innocent people dancing. Of course, there's going to be a response, and I was cool with that. But I'm not really cool with the number now going past 20,000 of um, civilians. And that goes for anywhere in the world. It's not about Israel and Palestine. It's anywhere in the world. And even, especially with us being the aggressors in the Middle East when we were there, it's not, I'm not okay with it. I'll never be okay with it. So if that gets me into trouble, so be it. Okay. All right. We did it. We, we did, did it. it. All right. It's fun. Yeah. Um, let's do it again. I mean, the campaign is now kicking up. I mean, just, just, you know, when Donald Trump is saying things like um, migration is poisoning the blood of America, <laughs> it's like, wow, this is really uh, elevating the rhetoric, right? So it's something that we should be talking about um, next time around. Yeah. Who are you? Which, which, which guy that poops himself do you want to vote for? <laughs> and that's what we'll talk about yeah, next time. Yeah, that's, that's a good way. Great yeah. options here. Yeah. Who drinks the most insured? Yeah, absolutely. Horrible. Yeah. It's not good. Not yeah. good. No Politics at the Dinner Table is produced by Amit Prakash. Uh, we get some really good tunes by G. Beta Roy, and our theme song is by Alex Tepper. Mm-hmm.